Man, what's up, Taff family? How we doing? We doing good? I feel like you guys expect something from me right now. Like, you come up here, and you're sitting down there, and you're like, okay, what am I going to say? And I'm just going to say hi. Uh, my name's Britton. I'm one of the pastors here. I get the opportunity to serve with our students, so that's 7th to 12th grade at both campuses, so that's something I really enjoy doing. Um, specifically, I want to shout out um, our friends at Manatee County. What's up, guys? We're pumped you guys are tuning in. But more importantly, what's up, folks? How we doing? Can I tell you something that I've observed just tonight? I've dialed it in with Saturday night. You guys think you're at a golf tournament. That's what it is. You guys all think we're golfing today because we're like, okay, that's what we got. And that's fine. I'm with you. Apparently, you guys worked really hard today, but I appreciate the fact that you're here. And let's dig into word. How's that sound? We're finding ourselves in 1 Samuel 26 today. Um, We've just kind of just got done with 1 Samuel 25 and we're realizing David... It messes up sometimes, <laughs> right? David doesn't, maybe he, maybe it's true. He might be, isn't the hero of this story all the time. Maybe he is human. And so we find ourselves just finishing 25 where he shows up and he says, listen, Nabal, you're going to pay us because, and he says, no, I'm not, but he has a heart attack or something like that. And David decides he's going to swoop in when the opportunity arises and marry his wife. So that's what we got going on in the Bible today, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Achillai, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Achillai, which is beside the road east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. So what we see here, just some context stuff, is the Ziphites... Sold David out again. If you don't remember uh, chapter 24, right before we jumped into our rattle series, David and Saul had a really awkward interaction when Saul was using the bathroom. And he said, hey, and it was the Ziphites. They said, hey, I think David's in that cave. You should go use the bathroom over there. You should try that. See if you can get him doing that. Maybe that'll push him out. I don't know if that worked or not. You guys aren't having it, so we're just going to keep rolling. But (laughs) David goes he's there and all of David's men are there in the cave remember and they had a whisper fest as pastor John said and they were talking about like this is your chance kill him and David just cuts off a corner of his robe and he moves on so that's really similar there's something that's going on here apparently these people the Ziphites have something wrong they don't like David for some reason and what we're seeing here though in the response of David here that's different than in 24 is David was in the cave David was hiding. He was taking and seeking shelter with his men. But here what we see in these verses is it says that David rose and came to a place where Saul had camp and camped. And I think what we see, and we see this trend starting last week, right? David's done running. David is ready to roll. Him and his men are rocking and they're done running. So they're going to take the fight to him. Let's keep going. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Job's brother, Abishai, the son of Zerai, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. 
So David and Abishai sleeping within the encampment. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and where Saul lay sleeping within the encampment, with the spear stuck in the ground at his head. And then Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or this day will come to die. Or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and went away. No man saw it or knew, and nor did any awake. For they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon him. So we see they're going in. And these guys, like he's, he's, he's lining up with these dudes and, and maybe just some contextual stuff. Abishai is David's nephew. So he's like, all right, like, hey, Uncle David, I'm going to go with you and we're going to handle this today. We're done running. Our family's got a lineage that's worth living up to. We're done running from this dude. And then I believe that he says easily the greatest one-liner in all of scripture. If you are a man in church today, and this line doesn't make you want to go watch 300, you need to check your pulse, okay? I just got to read it one more time because it, it's so cool. Like, if I ever get to be in the Bible, this is something I want to say, right? <laughs> Instead, it would be like, Britain wept. So, but this is, this is what Abishai said. He said, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. <laughs> now, please, he's polite. He's being so nice. Please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I won't strike him twice. That's a bad man. <laughs> that's a bad man. And that's the way I read the Bible. And that's why I firmly believe in my heart of hearts that the Bible's not boring. You are. So if that doesn't fire you up and make you want to get into scripture, I don't know what you're reading. But I asked the question because we just got done last week talking about that, that God is great and that he's good, and that we, we know these things as Christians, and if, you, and if you don't know those things, hang on, maybe tonight we can get there. But this idea that God is great, and, and God is good, and we trust that he's going to show up when we can't, how often are we Abishai? And we want to take matters into our own hands, and we want to be the one to show up, and we want to be the one to be impressive. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. He's there in the moment. The circumstances say, pin this fool to the earth. If I'm just reading what's happening in front of me, there's only one option, Uncle David. And I'm the answer, right? That's a bad man. And he's ready to be that bad man. And a good kind of bad, not a bad kind of bad. Hang on. I'm the youth pastor. Your kids will kind of translate the words that I say. But I want you to hang on to that question. I want you to hang on to that. When the circumstances say, go this way, do we still seek God or do we just run with ourselves? Do we rely on convictions or convenience? That's the question we want to answer today. You see, the whole point of all of this is David and his nephew are going down 
with Saul and all the men. They're sneaking in there. They're done running. And you just read that part and you're like, okay, we've said it already. I've said it probably too many times. But these two are legit. And they're done running. And they're going to handle it. At least that's my interpretation. I don't think as they were standing up there and he was looking at his best men, he was like, all right, who wants to go steal the spear, boys? Let's do it. Let's take his water jug too. We'll make him thirsty. Right? I don't think that's what's going on here as they head into this valley where they're encamped. I think there's a circumstance, there's an emotion, and they're ready to go because they're done running. And then David's response is one that is interesting. Because this spear that he's seeing laying at the head of, of, of Saul, this water jug is one that David's probably pretty familiar with. It's been thrown at his face a couple times, right? This is a spear that isn't not familiar to him. He's seen it before. But his response is one that interested me the first time I read this. Because based off the David we just read about, that's not what I expected him to say when Abishai said the greatest one-liner in Scripture. Let me put him to the earth. No. Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die. You see, David doesn't always get it right. But in this moment, I firmly believe that, that David is operating within his convictions that God has given him. He's operating in the spirit of God that we read about earlier that has came and dwelled in David, that has anointed David, is communicating for him at this point. And let's not get it twisted. Right down there at the bottom of what we just read. None of them saw it, none of them knew it, none of them awoke because they were asleep. Because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Don't get it twisted. David's not your hero. Because I'm thinking he goes down in here, Abner might have handled some business. But it says that God showed up in the midst of that. In the midst, in the midst of an emotional reaction to being tired and exhausted. God showed up in his sovereignty and protected these two. And David responded how I, how I wish I responded sometimes. That when God shows up in the midst of the circumstance and gives me an out of where I've put myself. And David said no. This isn't ours to do. This is God's. Verse 13. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill. With a great space between them and David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner saying, will you not answer Abner? Then Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord. The Lord's anointed, and now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. See, David snuck in, but he wasn't sneaking out. <laughs> he was going to let him know what happened that day. He calls over to him. He gets to a safe distance, right? David socially distanced himself, and he got to a safe distance, and he said, Hey, Abner, wake up. Got you, bro. Look at the spear. Look at the water. 
You're supposed to be the chosen man of Israel? The king's best? You're not even a man. You deserve to die. But what's, but what's an interesting about this, and it's because I wouldn't be able to tell you this if I didn't study with people that are smarter than me, so thank you, Seth, for this next point, um, is, is David was referring to the whole army. This whole group of men that are here with Saul. He's speaking plurally to this group of chosen soldiers of Israel. And he's saying, who the heck are you guys? This is the best we have to offer? Do you see what I have? What's going on? David's being bold right now. And he's rebuking these people for their lack of ability in protecting Saul. And that's such an interesting concept as you look at the relationship of David and Saul. And maybe he's rubbing it a little, a little bit, getting his jab in, you know. But also on the other end, I think there's, a, there's something shining through here. And it's the fact that although Saul seeks out David time after time after time to kill him, for some reason, David keeps calling him your Lord, our Lord, he keeps referring to him with this matter of respect. And I don't know, I don't know, like, I couldn't tell you why, but that's interesting to me. David's humility in this to say, what are you guys doing? What's going on over there with this army? And at the end of that, we find ourselves back in verse 17. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. It is my voice, my Lord, O king. Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day, and I should have, should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. And then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, behold, I have acted foolishly and have made great mistake. And David answered and he said, here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he he deliver me out of tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. You can hear it in David's voice when you read that. He's tired. He's tired of running. He's exhausted. You see it right there for what have I done? What have I done? Why are you still chasing me? Dude, just leave me alone. 
And he continues just asking these questions and he's saying, have I not served God? If I haven't, let me be cursed and die. But, if, but I think the shift here is David kind of stops talking to Saul for a minute and I think he starts talking to God. I think he, he starts talking to God because he says, now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. I think at this point, David, we're finding that David is reaching capacity of running and he's saying, God, if you have anointed me to do this work, why is this continuing to happen? Why am I still running? When's my turn? When are my circumstances going to shift? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to show up. I'm trying to not just do the convenient thing. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Why is this still happening? That's the way I interpret what David's saying here. Is he's, he's tired. He's running. He's running. He's saying yes. Sometimes to the wrong things, but he's saying yes. <laughs> but he's keeping the faith the best he knows how. He's being the best human version of a Christian he knows to be. And he's worn out. And so my question is, are you tired? Tired of running? When you look around at your circumstances and the situations at which you find yourself, are you wondering, what's this faithfulness even going to get me? I think there's moments... In 1 Samuel, where we see that from David. And I think there's moments where, where he begins to fold to those, but those are coming, right? But what I want to focus on today is this, this perspective of circumstances versus conviction. Circumstances versus conviction. You see, we see David coming out of chapter 24, right? Way before the Rattle series. He's in the cave. And he obeys God that time, and he doesn't strike the Lord's anointed. And he just cuts off a corner of his robe. A little vandalism, right? Cuts off a corner of his robe. And then we find him again. Now he's like vigilante, king, wannabe king. I'm going to kill everyone who doesn't give me sheep. And then God shows up again through Abigail and provides this sacrifice and continues to maintain David's character for him. Because if David goes on this bloodbath, there's no telling what happens in the the people's eyes to him that he's just this man that will strike anyone who gets in front of him. But God's continuing to show up and protect David, right? Because David's not the hero, but for some reason, God's decided David's the one I'm going to use. And we see it. He, He goes down into the valley, right? And these circumstances that David continues to find himself in are these opportunities to either be faithful or to operate within convenience because I don't know about you but if I'm in the cave and bro's using a bathroom seems like an easy target if I can cut off his robe I can cut off his head let's be honest all right there I said it so that was me student pastor I said that email Martin (laughs) oh man this is a golf tournament I have to remind myself that no laughing stop it okay then we're down here And everyone's asleep, right? And the spear's right there. I've seen this one before. That's the one he threw at me just for playing the guitar. Or whatever that thing's called, the lyre, right? Man. And now my boy wants to do it. 
Yeah, nephew, pin him. But he doesn't do it. And we see this continued faithfulness to conviction rather than to circumstance. Because the circumstances read, kill this fool and quit running. But there's this conviction point where we see that David, there's something in him that won't let him do it. There's something in him that's shifting his response in the circumstances. There's something in him that in the midst of his exhaustion, in the midst of his tiredness, in the midst of him being done running, there's something in him that's fixing his eyes back to Jesus. Fixing his eyes back to the Spirit of God in him. Fixing his eyes back. And the question is, what's it going to take for us in the midst of our circumstances to fix our eyes back? To raise our gaze back to where they need to be. To quit looking left and quit looking right and start looking up. Start looking up. Because can I tell you something? (laughs) The circumstances probably won't get any easier. But as you continue to raise your gaze and you continue to see God's glory on display in your life, in the midst of those circumstances, there's these things called like peace that you begin to experience. And I can't promise it. I can't. That's not something I can do. I don't have the power to do that. But I can tell you that in my life, I've had moments where the circumstances read, go this way. And for some reason, I felt like I was supposed to go left. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your circumstances are. And I don't know where your convictions lie. I think that's different for everybody. But I think in the midst of coming out of 2020 and going in to 2021, we find ourselves in a lot of circumstances and we find ourselves with a lot of convictions. And the question is, only you can answer, where have I been landing on that line? Have I been allowing the voices of the world, the voices of social media, the voices of myself, my flesh, my desires to drive me? Or has it been been the spirit of God in me? Driving me closer to him. Driving my opinion. Driving my words. Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me? It's circumstances versus convictions. See, there's a few examples of this that we see in Scripture that are more than what we just read. And I want to continue to go to those because I don't know about you, but I love 1 Samuel and I love David, but sometimes it gets confusing. I don't know if, maybe that's just me, and if so, I'm just going to think out loud for you guys for a minute, okay? So you can pretend, you can be smarter than me today. But, so we see with David, these circumstances, right? 24, 25, 26. Should I kill him? Should I not kill him? The Lord's going to take care of it, but I'll kill this guy that won't give me a goat or a sheep or whatever that was, but I'm not going to kill Saul, the guy who keeps trying to kill me, right? Circumstances, convictions, it's all over the place. But I think that there's some, one, there's a place in our life that we have to kind of shift circumstances versus convictions. And I think that it's this piece called worship. And I'm not just talking about what we do in here on Saturdays or on Sundays when we have our incredible team up here leading us in worship. But I think there's so many other parts of our life where we're called to worship. Right? Worship is what you do nine to five. Worship is what you decide to do in the pickup line right before you pick up the kids. Worship is how you act on the sideline. Worship is how you walk through the hallways. Worship is how you enter the break room. All of these things are opportunities to either worship or be driven by flesh. And so the question is, are we operating by obligation or opportunity? 
Do we view worship as obligation? Well, it's Saturday night. Guess we're going back to the tabernacle. I'm not clapping, though. Right? (laughs) We're not that thirsty for claps. It's just so fun to tell that joke. I don't know why I like it so much. We'll go, but I'm not standing up for the last song. They let me sit down. I'm not getting back up. We'll go, but that pastor gets back up there and asks me to serve one more time. That's my life. I'm not doing it. Right? And I think that that is viewing worship. That's church perspective as obligation. It's going to work. And we all know that guy at work that no one like, hey, Bill, you're with him today. And you're like, dang it. This guy's, that's me. I'm the dang it. <laughs> Anytime they're like, you're with Britain, it's like, dang it. He's going to say so many stupid jokes. Okay, well, it looks like we're, but, but is it that person that you operate within the nine to five with that, that comes into the break room, that when you're hanging the duck work and he never does it right, or you're working at the tire shop, or you're in the office and his cubicle's right next to yours, I'm obligated to be nice, but I don't view it as an opportunity to share Christ. I'm obligated to tolerate him, but I don't view it as an opportunity to give him a picture of what it looks like for the gospel to be delivered, for the good news to be delivered through my life. You see, the workplace is a place of opportunity or obligation. With your kids, kids with your parents. Is it an obligation that, man, I've been going to Foundry and I've been doing all the stuff and I'm even going to help them with that float, but if mom tells me to clean my room one more time, I'm going to lose it, right? Or parents, (laughs) Is it an obligation or is it an opportunity? Are we just counting down the days till graduation? Or are we viewing the opportunity that you get to be the pastor first at home? That you get to show Jesus to your kids first, long before we ever get an opportunity here? Is it obligation or is it opportunity? See, there's a couple stories in the New Testament that talk about this. The first one um, that, that we kind of landed on, because there's so many, right? Anything that Paul wrote, anything Peter went through, but I think there's some that we don't think about, and it's so perfect that we did the food pantry thing, because we're going to talk about Stephen. Stephen's this guy that's hanging out with the disciples, and he gets this assignment. Stephen, you're in charge of the food pantry, right? That's pretty much what it boils down to. It wasn't called a food pantry. He's feeding people, and Stephen, that's going to be what you do. That's your job in this whole thing, right? Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's seeing all this stuff. And he's like, man, Peter gets to preach to all those people. And I'm, you guys want a sandwich? Right? (laughs) That's Stephen's job. That's who he is. He's he's called to this. But we also see in Stephen's life that just like the rest of the Christians, no one liked him. And they decided that he was going to be one that they killed. And I think often that in that moment, Stephen's human just like us. Just like us. As these people are coming to stone him, he didn't say, man, I'm obligated to worship. I'm obligated to this stoning. But he viewed it as an opportunity to share in suffering with Christ and to ultimately bring glory to God in the midst of it. You see it in his words. He's sitting there about to get stoned to death, okay? 
Not in the mire line where he might get a dirty look. He's about to get stoned to death. And the last words out of his mouth are, Lord, receive my spirit and forgive him. Forgive him. Staring death in the face, Stephen decided this is an opportunity. Lord, receive my spirit and forgive him. And I think the most important example of them all, we see with Jesus. See, Jesus came and was a real man and walked this earth. And there was a night where him and his closest friends got together and they they went to a garden to pray. Because Jesus knew that the push was about to come to shove. And I imagine that in the midst of knowing what's coming, he just needed some time. So he asked his buddies, he's like, hey, you guys, I'm going to go over here and pray. Can you guys just stay right here with me? Stay right here with me. Staring death in the eyes, knowing what's coming, knowing that one of his closest followers is going to be the one who does it. And he finds himself in the garden, crying out to the Father. Lord, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, Circumstances say that's what you do. Circumstances say when staring death in the face, you run, Stephen. You run. When you're in the garden knowing what you're about to go through, the most brutal death in all of history. You don't stay there where they know you are. When you know the one that's going to betray you, you don't let him keep running with the crew. Circumstances say, get away from it. But you see, Jesus found himself in the midst of the circumstance, crying out if there's any other way. But in his conviction, he said, not my will. Not my will. See, church, where in our lives do we need to be like David in the valley? with an opportunity to operate in the circumstance and say, not my will. Where do we need to be like Stephen, staring death in the face, in the hands of the Pharisees, and say, not my will. Or like our Savior, Jesus, who bore the weight of sin and death in the garden, sweat and blood, and to say, not my will. Where's that at for you this week? Where's that at for you tonight? Where's that at for you in forgiveness? In relationship? Where can you say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. band's going to come out and we're going to pray. And I don't want this to just be something that we're like, okay, cool, you guys ready to go at the end? But have a conversation right here with God. Focus on the person in your seat, right? Wife, this isn't your time to tell your husband when you leave here, hey, this is where your will needs to not be done and God's needs to be done in your life this week. Or parents, this isn't the time for the lecture on the way home with your kids. Kids, this isn't your time to lecture your parents, nor should you ever. 
But this is an opportunity for you to focus on the person in your seat. Just the person in your seat. Where this week, tonight, can you say, not my will? For some of us, maybe it's just surrendering everything to him first. And that's easy. It's a simple, simple thing. Turn away from sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And say, not my will every day. Surrender everything to him and keep saying yes. But as we sing, don't just let it be words that come out of your mouth. You see, in that song we sang earlier, there was a phrase, drawn to redemption by grace. Focus on the person in your seat. Where is it not my will for you this week? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. God, we just ask that we fix our eyes back to you. Lord, in the chaos and the noise, will you help us quit looking left and right or behind us and start helping us look up? Lord, will you fix our eyes to you? God, I pray that you convict us where we need to be convicted tonight. To understand that that area of our life, it's not about our will anymore, but it's about your will and being done. Your kingdom coming. Lord, I pray that you break hearts and put them back together like only you can do. We thank you for your son and the example that he set and what it looks like to serve you and your kingdom for your glory. Lord, it's in your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name that we pray.